Lord, uh, as we, we, we open up your word this morning, as our kids head out to Treasure Seekers, Lord, we just ask that in this time, in this space, in these moments, that you would meet us where we're at, Lord, that you would reach down into, into our lives, into the mess, the chaos, the, the worries, the anxieties that we might have, Lord, the busyness, all that's going on, and that in this time that we can be still and know that you are our God, Lord, that you reign over the nations, that you're in control and that you have a plan. Amen. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy watching documentaries. Um, I, I can watch a documentary about just about anything, uh, whether it be that the feats of World War II submariners, and it doesn't have to be the Allies, it can be what, what the Germans were doing or, um, or the Japanese. I'm fascinated to, to unpack, to see how their, their plans and their intentions were unpacked and, and how they followed through and, and what that, that looked like. It could be a documentary on how a ship is built or how a car is built. Um, one that I haven't seen, I'd love to see um, one that, that breaks down in layman's terms the mechanics and the engineering behind a, a Formula One race car. Like I'd, I'd find that kind of stuff fascinating. So it could be, it could be about how things are built, um, how gold or, or other, other minerals are mined uh, in different climates or different places. It could be about fishing or it could be about survival or camping or four-wheel driving. Oh, I just love the journey through unpacking the process of, of how people go about doing things, following through from their initial plan, dealing with any unexpected challenges and how they navigate their way through to find their goal. I really find that fascinating and encouraging and, and also motivating. And during the Christmas New Year break, aside from watching the Boxing Day test, many people take the opportunity of life just slowing down that, to a slower pace where, where people are on a break from work perhaps to just do a bit of a, a, a lifestyle checkup. It's, it's often the time when we evaluate what the year that's been has what we've accomplished and what we hope to achieve in the year that's coming and we develop New Year's re resolutions. We, we develop these goals for the New Year's, the things that we want to see achieved. We want to we reach. The problem for many is they start well but eventually they fail to reach their goal and you know, I, I think there are, that in a lot of these situations there's probably, probably two main reasons they don't achieve their goals. The first one is that they fail to adequately plan by considering the cost of time, money and effort. Underestimating how much time they're going to need to invest in learning their new skill or, or, or reaching their goal, how much money it's going to cost them and how much effort they're going to need to put in week after week, day after day, hour after hour in order to achieve it. They fail to properly compensate for what's going to be required so they start out with all enthusiasm, but their tank runs dry. They run out of steam well before they finish their goal. And the second thing that people often fail to do is, is identify the key moments of intentionality. What I mean by that is that when we set out to achieve a goal, when we set out to achieve something that we've planned for, there are, there are several key moments that require initiative. 
And if we fail to recognize those and if we fail to schedule and plan those key moments of initiative, then our plan never, tra- uh, never, never makes that transition from being an idea to being something in practice. Let me give you a couple of examples. I've got a couple of goals going on for me at the moment. Uh, I'm trying to learn to play the guitar. So this is something that uh, I've done a number of times over the years. Uh, and just recently, uh, a good friend has, has invited me to come and play with them. Uh, and, and so as, as one of the motivation, motivating moments of intentionality, we schedule in a, a time once a week. And this is motivating for me because it means that if I don't practice during the week, I'm going to let them down. I'm going to rock up for our, our time to play together and, and time for him to show me some more things that, and teach me some more things that he's picked up over the years about the guitar. And I'm not going to be ready to be able to make that next step. I'm not going to be able to continue. But simply having that, that time booked in doesn't guarantee that I'm going to actually practice in the meantime, doesn't it? So there are other moments of intentionality throughout the week where I need to say, on, on this day, at this time, I'm going to spend half an hour, I'm going to spend an hour practicing the guitar and, and this is what I, I plan on practicing. It's important to think about those things. Otherwise, you get to that moment and you might realise that, hey, I don't have what I need to practice. Uh, so say, for example, I break a, a string on my guitar. And I think, well, that's okay. Um, I've got a a, a planned some more practice tomorrow. And if I do nothing until that time again, then I'm not ready because I don't have the strings that I need. The the second second example is that I'm trying to lose a bit of weight. And when I tell people that, they they say, really? You don't look overweight. You don't look like you could lose any weight. But I could probably stand to lose another probably 10, 15 kilos. And, and again, part of that intentionality is, is following a diet. That's a big, big ticket one. And then exercise. Exercise I don't find too difficult, but the diet is really important. And, and I find that the weeks that um, I, I plan well, the weeks that I, I set out a time to go through what my diet is going to entail for that week and what groceries I'm going to need and I go through and I plan that and I prepare that and we go shopping and, and get the groceries, they're the weeks that I, I stick to my diet and, and I see my goal of, of losing weight being achieved. When I fail to meet that moment of initiative, then we get to the day and I haven't prepared what I need to have for breakfast, it might be some overnight oats or something like that. And, or, or it might get to the evening meal and it, we're running late at 6.30, at 7, 7.30. And, and suddenly then you, you, we're feeling too tired to cook, we're too, feeling too tired to prepare. And, and so those are the times where we don't stick to, to our plan. The point is that planning is really important. It's a, it's a wonderful first step. But as this old, and as the old saying goes, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I don't know how many times my kids have heard me say that. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. But unless you make sure you have the provisions to fulfill that plan, your time, resources, and effort, then you'll never get 
that plan beyond just simply being an idea. And we're going to see that that's key in what God's plan is. Last week we began our new series looking at God's big plan. We're going to be journeying our way through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We started last week looking in, in Jeremiah 29 to see the promise of God's plan. And Ezekiel 16. We're going to see throughout this series, and, and especially today, that where God has a plan, He provides the way. Where God has a plan, He provides the way. So to start with, I want, I want to just take us back to last week, just very briefly, and look at Jeremiah 29, verses 10, and, uh, 10 to 14. Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. So remember, this is Jeremiah writing to the exiles in Babylon to encourage them that God's plan means that they're not going to be brought out of exile in, in just a couple of years, as some of the false prophets were saying. But, but God's plan involved them being in exile for 70 years. So here we are, Jeremiah 29, 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from among the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So remember that, that this prophecy, this, this word, this message from God through the prophet Jeremiah to those in exile in Babylon was, it was not simply about gilding their pockets, lining their pockets with gold. It, it was not about the, pro, the, the financial prosperity of the people of Judah. This was about the restoration and the redemption of God's nation to being his image bearers, to being his nation of priests, his representatives to the world of his good, good news, his plan for redemption and salvation through Jesus, which he promised to Adam and Eve, to Abraham and, and to Moses and to David. And that's what we looked at last year, last week. So after 70 years, God's plan is to bring back all the exiles scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire across the world as it was known, and to restore them to being his nation of priests, a holy nation set apart as a tool for God's plan, ultimate plan for salvation. So turn with me now to Ezra chapter 1, and we're going to start at the beginning of this returning process, this returning timeline. I should, should note that Ezra 1 starts before Ezra's time in ministry. So Ezra is looking, looking back at this, this moment, this pivotal moment in the time of the returning from exile. Ezra chapter 1 verse 1. In the first year of King Cyrus, Cyrus king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing couple of things to note here. Um, the first year of, of Cyrus, the king of Persia, is not his first year in reigning in Persia, but his first year 
after the, the Persian Empire had conquered Babylon. We find that information as we read in, in Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 5, we see the fall of the Babylonian Empire and the rise of the Persio-Median Empire. And, and so it's in this first year after the conquest of Babylon that Cyrus is king. Some key words here. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make this proclamation. Uh, let, let's go on and, and we'll, we'll, we'll dig into a little bit more about the mechanics of what was going on there, the, the unpacking of the behind the scenes look, like the documentaries that I love to watch. We'll, we'll come to that in a minute. But verse 2, this is King Cyrus' proclamation. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and, be and with beasts beside free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers of the house of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites and everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts and with costly wares besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, the king of Persia, brought these out and in the charge of Mithridath, the treasurer who counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, a thousand basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and a thousand other vessels. All the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400. All these did, did Sheshbazar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylon to Jerusalem. The Persian king, as I said, was a successor to the Babylonian. Uh, Persian kingdom was a successor to the Babylonian kingdom. We find this transition in the book of Daniel. And when we see the fall of Nebuchadnezzar and the fall of Babylon. Here in Ezra we find Cyrus as king. 70 years after Babylon had taken the people of Judah um, into exile. And this proclamation is the fulfillment of the passage we looked at last week, Jeremiah 29. This proclamation is quite remarkable. Not only does King Cyrus release the people of Judah who wish to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild it and, and to rebuild the temple of God so that they may worship there. His edict also instructs those in his kingdom to assist the people of Judah with silver and gold and beasts, whatever they need to be able to make the journey back and the resources that they need in order to rebuild the walls, rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. And on top of all of what they need to add into that a free will offering 
to the glory of God. This is so remarkable. And we would assume that, that for, for a king with the authority and the power and the wealth of Cyrus, that, that somehow in some way he must have had a transformation that brought him to become a follower and worshipper of, of Yahweh. That, that he's found or, or that he's found in himself some other motivation. We, we know that when we look at governments and politicians, there's always an agenda. There's always an, an ideology that, that, that is behind their decisions, behind what they do. There's always a benefit that, that comes for them. And, and so we might say, well, maybe, maybe for Cyrus he saw some kind of benefit in that. What's remarkable is that, that Cyrus wasn't simply king over a democracy. He had this autocratic dynasty. He didn't need the favour, the honour, the glory. He commanded that as it was. This is what I love about God's word as we, we dig into it, as we, we see the patterns, as we see the linkages, the connections that, that otherwise we might, might have missed. Where God has a plan, he provides the way. As, as we, you, know, you look through the book of Judges, one of the key themes, and Gideon is a classic example of this, is that, that God puts the people of Israel in, into a place where he disciplines them so that they turn back to him. And when they turn back to him, he wants there to be no shred of a doubt that their victory, that their success comes at the hand of God and God alone. And, and in Gideon, you, you might remember that he, he, he goes into battle and um, he has a couple of thousand soldiers with him. And God says, Gideon, you've got too many, too many. So take them down to the water and uh, watch them drink. And uh, those that slurp up the water, uh, separate those that slurp up the water from those that lap it in their hands. And, um, and so he did that. And, and eventually God, God weeds this army down to just a few hundred. A few hundred soldiers of Israel to take on their oppressors. A task that is impossible. And then God says, Gideon... I need you and I need Israel to know that this victory comes at my hand. So go down, go down to the enemy camp and listen. Listen to what they're saying. And so he did and he got an encouragement that there was this great fear amongst the enemy camp. And the instructions that God gave Gideon was to spread his, his men around the valley with lamps held under a clay pots. And at the appointed time that they should all break their pots and they should all cry out and yell at the top of their voice. And they did that. And, and such was the calamity within the enemy camp that they got up and they killed one another. Where God has a plan, he makes a way. How do we know that this is God's plan for Judah coming out of, of, of Israel, uh, out of exile? Let's have a look at Isaiah chapter 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped. That is, that is a pretty profound statement for the man who has conquered the known world. 
for the men who no authority, no power, no, no people group would, would defy. God instills himself as Lord over Cyrus so that Cyrus has no doubt that God has placed him there for God's plans and God's purposes. To Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue the nations before him and loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed, I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by name. What I love about this is that it, it demonstrates, it, it, it puts away that perception that, that God is the God of Israel in the Old Testament. Because here clearly, once again, we see that God is not just simply the God of Israel, that Israel were God's beacon of hope and testimony. They were to bear witness to who God is. And they had failed to do that abysmally. And so here he has raised up the Persian army, the Persian kingdom and, and the Persian king Cyrus. And he has gone before them to provide them victory. He has prophesied this to them so that they may know as Gideon knew that it is God's victory that they are seeing, not their own. God says to Cyrus, I call you by name. I name you. Though you do not know me, I am the Lord, there is no other besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun, from the west, that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Notice here that there is an acknowledgement that Cyrus does not know Yahweh. Cyrus does not know God, yet God is revealing himself to Cyrus. You know, we, we see in modern times this tension within, within, Christian, within the Christian faith who, who have been the recipients of, of Christendom since the Emperor Constantine ruled in Rome. And we see this uncomfortable sense when, when governments don't abide by the expectations, the morals and the values of, of the Word of God. We see this fear and anxiety that creeps into the hearts of Christians. That is afraid. Afraid of the rule of a, a secular government. Of people that don't no God. If there's one thing that we can take from this morning, it's where God has a plan. He provides the way. And in that way, there is no power or authority, no government, no individual that can defy and obstruct and tear down God's plan. He, he changed the heart of King Cyrus. To reveal himself as Lord over all. It is God 
who works in each one of us. It is God who works in and through our governments. It is God who is in control. We turn to Ezra chapter 3 and we see the beginning of the fulfillment of God's plans. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in the towns. The people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord burnt offerings morning and evening and they kept the feast of booths as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required and after the regular burnt offerings, the offerings as the new moon and all the appointed feasts from the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrrhenians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from King Cyrus of Persia. Now in the second year after the coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Zodak, Jozadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come from Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord and Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah. Together they supervised the workmen in the house of God along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord and the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the direction of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord for he is good and for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And the people shouted with great shout, when they praised the Lord because of the foundation of the Lord was laid, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' households, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful, the joyful shout from the sound of the people weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout and the shout was heard far away. So what can we learn from God's plan and provision for the exiles in Babylon? Where God has a plan, he provides the way. There is no power, no government and no authority that can hinder or obstruct God's plan. God is always in control. We can see that life won't, life won't always go the way we expect. 
won't always go to our plans. For the people of Judah, it was certainly not in their plans to be taken away from their lands, taken away from the house of God, to have the house of God destroyed brick upon brick. That was not their plans. That was not what they wanted. That was not their expectation. But our response shouldn't be to stand in our houses and in our churches demanding that God change the situation to suit us, to suit our ideals and our expectations. Instead, we need to recognize and we need to see that God already has a plan. He's already at work and he has provided all that is required for his plan. Instead, we should be humbling ourselves, submitting ourselves to God's plan. Asking God, what is it that you are doing in this time, in this season? What is it, how is it that you're wanting me to, to, to change the way I live? To, to transform the way I live with you? What if the day comes where we are no longer free to worship on a Sunday morning like this? What if there is a time where such is the heart of men in Australia towards Christianity that we do not get the freedom to gather together? Does that mean that God has lost? Does that mean that our faith is in vain? No. God has a plan. His plan is the redemption of sinners, the reconciliation of the lost to himself, the renewal of, of the covenant that he made with Adam and Eve, that we may be redeemed and restored. He has a plan. He's provided a way. It may mean that we need to change the way we engage with God. Maybe we need to reflect on how much we're leaning on an hour or two on a Sunday morning and neglecting the rest of our week. Maybe, maybe this is a bit of a wake-up call for us. God's saying, I called you into a, an intimate relationship with me, one that is like a marriage, one where we should be intimate, knowing one another deeply every day. yet you turn your back to me during the week. You come to church on, on a Sunday morning, but only with the expectation of what it can bring you. What if God is giving us an opportunity to wake up to the way that we have become so selfish, the way that we contrive our faith to give ourselves a bit of peace of mind, to justify our attitudes and our actions and avoid the transformation that he's called us to. We have this wonderful opportunity. By the grace of God, it starts whenever we're willing to submit ourselves to rebuild our relationship with God in the righteousness and grace that he has bestowed upon us. So I want to encourage you this morning in the light of whatever is weighing heavily on you.
God has got a plan. A plan for our future. It's a plan for our eternity. It's a plan for the eternity of our neighbours, our community. A plan to bring hope. A plan to bring forgiveness. A plan to show love into families and households that don't know love. For, for children who, who grow up and only understand the love of a mother and a father as, as one that is abusive and neglectful. For, for those, those children who grow up into adults and, and don't know what it means to love someone more than yourself. To love sacrificially and graciously, compassionately and patiently. God has a plan for hope and restoration and redemption. And despite all reason, it seems that his plan rests upon our shoulders. That he has said, I look upon a broken and hurting people. We are the tools of his plan. God desires deeply for us to journey with him, to walk with him, to go down into the deep bogs of life that those in the houses around us, in the community around us are, are, are stuck in to bring them hope, peace and light. It's a wonderfully joyous opportunity but it starts with us. Paul says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. As the exiles rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, perhaps we need to start rebuilding the temple for the Holy Spirit. Perhaps we start, need to start being intentional, finding those moments of initiative to engage in our relationship with Jesus. I want to finish uh, by reading the end of Isaiah chapter 45. From verse 8, the glory of God that is seen in these words. Shower, O heavens, from above and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who, is, who formed him a pot of, among the earthen pots. Does clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles? Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, With what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the one who formed him, Ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the, way, the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hand that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all their host. I have stirred him up in righteousness and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. This is the plan that we are called in, that we are called to, that we live in. 
God's plan that he, he called Cyrus to and Israel to a plan of salvation, a plan of, of righteousness, a plan that, that leans not on, on our wisdom or understanding, but that of God, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of man and man's heart. Let me encourage you this morning. I don't want you to feel condemned. I want you to feel challenged and encouraged. We have received this wonderful gift from God. Let us fully take hold of it, rebuild it, and live it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come broken vessels, Lord. Lord, you know our struggles, you know our, our worries, you know our pain. You know the things that conflict us in our thoughts, the things that conflict us with our emotions, our convictions, Lord. Our heart this morning is that we may not be led astray, away from your plan and your purpose. Lord, that we, we may not be deceived by our own desires, but that in all things, in every situation, we might pursue you. Pursue our, our relationship with you, Lord, and to see your plan and the fruit of your plan, Lord. To trust that you are providing the way forward. Lord, we surrender all that we have to you. Amen.